turn in the Bible to Psalm 119. Starting our reading at verse 65, reading through verse 80. Text that we focus on is verse 71. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 65. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good, and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Let, I pray thee, thy merciful kindness be for my comfort, according to thy word unto thy servant. Let thy tender mercies come unto me, that I may live, for thy law is my delight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they dealt perversely with me without a cause, but I will meditate in thy precepts. Let those that fear thee turn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies. Let my heart be sound in thy statutes, that I be not ashamed. I call your attention again to verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted that I might learn thy statutes. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we know, Psalm 119 is a very unique psalm. Maybe some of the children in the congregation tonight know some interesting facts about Psalm 119. Maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is that it's the longest psalm, Not only that, it's the longest chapter in the whole Bible, having 176 verses. Another thing that makes Psalm 119 unique is that it's an acrostic. An acrostic is a kind of poem where every line begins with the same letter. And that doesn't come through in our English translation. But Psalm 119 has 22 sections. One section for each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And each section has one letter, and every verse in that section begins with that letter. And so, for example, the section in which our text is found is the section of the Hebrew letter teth, like a T. And every word in the original tongue begins with a T. God's word is expresses truth, but it expresses truth artfully and beautifully. 
But perhaps what's most interesting about Psalm 119 is not its length or its poetic form, but its subject matter. The longest chapter in the whole Bible is a chapter all about the Bible. Subject, the main focus of Psalm 119 is the word of God. And the psalm uses many different words to describe the word of God. Law, precepts, statutes, as appears in our text, word, and and many others. It's a lengthy chapter of the Bible all about the Bible. It's God's word about his own word. Thus, it's a very rich and applicable psalm for us because as God's people, we live by the word. God's word is our daily bread, our spiritual bread. Psalm of many things to teach us about God's word. Now our text is God's word to us about a very important subject. It's God's word about afflictions. And the place of God's word and the help it gives us in afflictions. And the teaching of our text is more striking and more surprising than anything that we've... Mentioned already about this interesting psalm. Our text says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. That is, that I might learn thy word. This verse establishes an important connection between our afflictions in this life and our learning, our growing, and our understanding of God's word. Afflictions are good for us, for very many reasons. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Really, the sermon tonight is a more focused application of something we talked about this morning when we looked at Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism, and we looked at that wonderful truth that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, all things must be subservient to our salvation. Or to put it another way, all things work together for good, To God's people. Including now this specific thing. Afflictions. Afflictions are real. Something we all go through. Afflictions are very real for us right now. And we talked about that individually in the sermon this morning. And now I'm going to have a a little bit of a different approach tonight. And focus on corporately. Afflictions are very real for us corporately. As Churches. It's a hard time in our denomination. The Lord is afflicting us with many hard and heavy and painful afflictions. It's a time of chastening. And thus, a word such as this in Psalm 119, though always appropriate, is so very relevant to us right now. And it's a word not to make us depressed. Not to fix our eyes on all sorts of bad things so that we leave church with heavy hearts. But it's a word to encourage us, uh, encourage us and uplift us during this season of hardship and chastening in our churches. Because this is God's word about the things we are going through. About the afflictions and chastenings. It is good for me. We say that individually with the psalmist. And we say that corporately as a denomination of churches, it 
is good for me that I have been afflicted because through these afflictions, God is working this, that I, that we together might learn his statutes. And so that's going to be the focus of our applications tonight. We're much afflicted right now. And this text is helpful and encouraging because it guides us in how to react and how to respond to afflictions and chastening. So let's look at this verse of Psalm 119 under the theme, Profiting from Affliction. That's really the goal of the sermon tonight, to unpack this word of God, that we might grow in our understanding of how to profit from affliction. We're first going to look at the reality of afflictions and the amazing reality that they're good for us. Secondly, we're going to look at God's purpose in them. And there I'm changing the point in the bulletin. It's the reasons. I decided a better word is the purpose. So point two, the purpose. And then thirdly, we will look at our response. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes, the psalmist says. And with that confession, the psalmist brings before us once again the reality that we suffer many afflictions. What are afflictions? That's a big word that has a lot of meaning. Afflictions are simply hardships that hurt. Hardships that hurt. They may hurt physically, pain in the body. Or they may hurt mentally. They may hurt us on the inside, cause pain on the inside, a broken heart. It's a very painful affliction, a wounded soul. Affliction is anything that comes upon us that's hard and that hurts. Really, the idea of the Hebrew word in the text is to be bowed down by grief. Affliction here means to be brought low, bowed down low, such that you feel downcast and are distressed. That's an affliction, any evil or harmful event that inflicts pain upon the mind, body, soul, brings us sorrow, excites fear, exhausts us, makes us weary, so that we're bowed down. Hardship that hurts. The psalmist speaks of these afflictions out of personal experience. He knows whereof he speaks. In fact, if we look through the verses of Psalm 119, beginning at the start of the psalm all the way to the portion that we've read, we'll notice that the psalmist makes mention several times of his own afflictions. Just a sample. Verse 28. In verse 28, the psalmist says, My soul melteth for heaviness. That's a vivid description of great affliction, hardship that really hurt. Whether it was sorrow, whether it was fear, whether it was perplexity, whatever it was, we do not know. But he describes it so vividly, doesn't he? His soul felt like it was melting. Some of us can relate to that. Affliction can be like a pressure cooker. It presses us and we feel as though we're melting under the pressure. Verse 51, the proud have had me greatly in derision. And then you go on to verse 53, horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy law. 
The psalmist experienced mockery. He experienced reproach. Few things hurt as much as lies spoken against us. In fact, verse 69, the psalmist speaks of that very thing. The proud have forged a lie against me. Horror took hold of the psalmist as he looked upon terrible sins that were perpetrated. The forsaking of God's law. And it left him reeling. Verse 78, the proud, they have dealt perversely with me without a cause. The psalmist knew hardships that hurt. And the Lord here uses the psalmist's own experience and inspires his words so that we may fit ourselves into those words. We don't know who the psalmist was in Psalm 119. We don't know exactly what his afflictions were. And as with other places in the Bible, that's on purpose. Sometimes the Lord gives us very concrete examples. Other times he leaves things general. And here he leaves it general so that we can fit ourselves into these words. And fit our experience as a community of faith, as churches, into these words. Right now is a hard time in our denominational life. How many of us have felt as though our souls were melting for heaviness? Horror takes us as we see things that have gone on. We are perplexed at times. Sad. Grieved. The psalmist expresses our feelings. But now, having brought before us that reality and how real it is, The psalmist now confesses an amazing reality about those afflictions. His point in our text is that afflictions are good for us. He says, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. If there's any word that we would naturally use in connection with afflictions, in connection with hardships that hurt, Good is likely not going to be the first word that comes to your mind or the first word that rolls off your tongue or mine. In fact, that's exactly the opposite of how we so often and naturally view afflictions. And that's the opposite of how afflictions, hardships that hurt, make us feel. How can a hardship that hurts be good? Now here we notice the language of the text. It's important. The psalmist does not say good afflictions have afflicted me. He's not granting that the afflictions all in themselves were good. Many are not. Many are evils in themselves. The teaching of the text is not that all afflictions are in themselves good things. But the psalmist says it is good for me. That I have been afflicted. Though many of the afflictions the psalmist suffered, such as a lie being forged against him, such as being dealt with perversely, such as whatever it was that caused his soul to feel as though it was melting for heaviness, though those things were bad, and though those things were often evils in themselves, nonetheless, good came out. Of his being afflicted by them. That's the point of the psalm. He says it was good for me. 
that hardship, that hurt, there was good fruit that came out of it. There was a good purpose behind it. And here our natural inclination is to protest, especially when we're in the midst of affliction. As we heard described in a sermon a couple weeks ago by one of our professors when he talked about the storms. When you're in the storm and the waves and the winds are all around you, you don't see good. And that was probably the case for the psalmist too. You note the tense of the verb. He said, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. The psalmist is looking back on those afflictions that he suffered. And the Lord has opened his eyes to see the good that has come out of them. Even though it's very possible that when he was in the midst of them, that good was not readily or immediately apparent. Nonetheless, this is his confession. This is his conviction. It was good. It is good for me. Not just was, but there is a good that has continued He has profited from this affliction such that it remains good for him that he suffered it. That's quite a striking teaching, isn't it? Good comes out of being afflicted. And what can explain this? Well, the only thing that can explain this is when we look up to verse 68. In Psalm 119. Verse 67. The psalmist again speaks about how he was afflicted. But then immediately after verse 67. and verse 68 he says. Thou art good and doest good. And that statement. Is like the umbrella over our text. In verse 71. It is good that I have been afflicted. And how can that be? Because God is good. Is good. Always good. He is the good. The supreme good. The overflowing fountain of all good. He does good. All that he thinks. All that he purposes. All that he does. All that he wills. Is good. And this God who is good. And who does good. Is the God. Who rules over affliction. Who rules over affliction. Who is sovereign. We use that theological term. And that's a wonderful theological term. That has rich meaning for us. But the Bible explains that theological term. By giving us so many pictures. Go back to the stormy sea of Galilee. Jesus calming the wind and the waves with his word. There is sovereignty. There is the good God doing good. Sovereign over the storms. There's a picture of God for us. Afflictions, hardships that hurt, which are so often outside our control. The fact that they're outside our control doesn't mean they're out of control. They're under the control of Him, the sovereign God who sent them. Just as God sent that storm on the Sea of Galilee. 
Just as God sent that storm when Jonah boarded the boat to Tarshish and was on his way west to flee God's command to go to Nineveh. And God sent the storm. So it is with our afflictions, which we so often call storms. Every storm, every affliction is sent by God. The God who is good and who does good, period. That explains how the psalmist can say, it is good that I have been afflicted. Good came out of it. There was a good purpose. There was good fruit. And now, because I was afflicted, there is this abiding good that stays with me and goes with me throughout the rest of my life so that through this affliction, I was made a better person, a better believer. A stronger Christian. Fits then with what we read near the end of the passage that we read. Verse 75. Where the psalmist says, I know, O Lord. And you hear the conviction in his voice. The certainty of faith here. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right. Even that judgment which sent that affliction into my life. Even that judgment which commanded the storm to rage around me for that time. Thy judgments are right. And that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. There's another striking fact. The temptation that the devil puts before us and the natural inclination of our flesh is to think that when we are afflicted, it's because God is turning away from us, forsaking us, is unfaithful to us. And in fact, it's the exact opposite. When God afflicts us, it is a manifestation of his faithfulness to us. Because God is good and God does good. And when it comes to his people in Jesus Christ, who he has purchased with the blood of his only begotten son, the whole divine being is devoted to their good. And that means everything he sends them and everything he does in their lives is for their greatest good. Because God is faithful. Because God has our greatest good in mind, He sometimes, no, oftentimes, afflicts us as individuals and corporately as churches. Affliction is good for us. Now, let's take that now a little bit further narrow our focus, and see an important truth that comes out here. As the psalmist teaches us that affliction is for our profit, the psalmist is instructing us about one particular use of affliction. Namely, that the Lord chastens his people. And that the Lord chastens us for our profit. What is chastening? Chastening is simply affliction that God administers to his children To correct us, to exercise our faith, and to train us in righteousness. Chastening is affliction sent, oftentimes for disciplinary purposes. Although our text is about afflictions generally, 
and not all afflictions are chastisements. Nonetheless, chastening is in view in this section of Psalm 119. One indication of that is verse 67, where the psalmist says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. And what the psalmist is saying there is he drifted, he went astray like a sheep, and affliction, chastening, was the means God used to bring him back and to restore him to that right way of walking before God's face according to his word. The idea here is not necessarily that the psalmist had fallen into some great sin that he was living impenitently in, such as David after his adultery with Bathsheba and murder of Uriah. God uses chastening to bring his people back from such great sins and melancholy falls. But chastening is not only restricted to that. God uses chastening to redirect wandering sheep. We are ever prone to wander, to deviate from that straight and narrow way that leads to life everlasting. And so the good shepherd employs not only his staff, but also his rod. A rod of chastening. Regularly. To put the sheep back on course when they've gotten off track, so to speak. And so scripture teaches us to expect chastening from the Lord's hand. To expect afflictions that are disciplinary in character. Afflictions that are corrective. Afflictions that are meant to exercise our faith and train us in righteousness. In fact, it should be a normal part of the Christian life. We should expect it to be a normal part of the Christian life. Deuteronomy 8 verse 5, God says, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord chasteneth thee. In a healthy, normal, father-child relationship, there is chastening. Parents discipline their children in love for their good. So God deals with us, his children. In fact, we should expect more chastening from the Lord than from our human parents because God is the perfect father who is never negligent or wrong in the carrying out of his parental care for his children. Chastening is part of the Christian life for us individually and for his people collectively. Sometimes God chastens for specific sins. You can think of examples in the scriptures. For example, Naomi. When she and Elimelech left the land of Judah and went to Moab seeking bread, the Lord chastened them sorely and he brought Naomi back after taking from her her husband and her two sons. Sore chastisement for those specific sins. Or you think of Jonah. Again, refusing to follow that call of God to go preach to the Ninevites, he hops on the ship in Joppa and sets sails in the opposite direction for Tarshish, and God sends that storm. And God sends Jonah down into the depths of the sea, into the belly of the fish. That was chastisement for specific sins. But other times... God chastens us not because of specific sins necessarily, but on account of our continuing sinful condition and our need to grow in holiness. Chastening is God's tool for performing that good work in us, one of his tools. You think of Joseph, for example. Joseph, son of Jacob, 
when Joseph was sold into Egypt and all of the hardships that hurt that followed, that wasn't sent to him by God on account of specific unconfessed sins in Joseph's life. But that affliction was sent to Joseph for God's own good purpose. God used it to shape and mold Joseph. And God used it to bring forth good fruit many years later. Think of what Joseph said later in Genesis 50 verse 20. He says something that echoes our text. Joseph, having been reunited to his brothers, reflects on all that they did to him. All that he suffered. And he says, But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. By the grace of God, Joseph looked back on that time of affliction and he saw, it was good for me that I have been afflicted. Look what God has done. Not only did he put me in this position that I could save my family from the famine that came upon the land, but even better than that, Joseph's affliction was used by God for the conversion of his wicked brothers. And other things as well. All of that which Joseph suffered was not good in itself. And yet it was sent by the good God who does good. And God had a good purpose. And God brought forth good fruit. Fruit that abided. And so the crucial point to see is that whenever God chastens his people, he does it for our good. His disciplinary corrective strokes are for our salvation, for our profit. Such that the scriptures can even say, happy. Happy is the man the Lord chastens. For example, Job 5. There's another example of a man who is sorely chastened by the Lord. And yet, Job 5 Verses 17 and 18, we have these words of truth. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. For he maketh sore and bindeth up. He woundeth and his hands make whole. And there's an invari- a very important point. Whenever the Lord afflicts, it's not to destroy his people. When he maketh sore... He bindeth up. When he woundeth, his hands make whole. So we think about that personally now. My afflictions. Maybe you're in the midst of them. And you can't see the good fruit. That may very well be. But with the eyes of faith. Look at the good God. No matter where we are, whether we're looking back on afflictions or whether we're in the midst of them, that's really what's most important. Looking at the good God who doest all things well. And we focus on Him and we hear His word. And by faith we lay hold of this precious promise. That when He afflicts, the 
is for our profit. Even when we feel perplexed, deeply sad, reeling from what feels like blow after blow, the Lord has not forsaken, the Lord has not forgotten to be kind. In faithfulness He afflicts us. And when these eyes can't see it, that's why we've been given the eyes of faith, which can see the good God. And we see the good God in the face of God, in God incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ, there on the cross, suffering and dying to save us from our sins and to give us all good. There, with the eyes of faith, we see the good God and we see that He does all things well, even when I can't see right now the good He is bringing out of this affliction, that affliction. Even when we can't possibly wrap our minds around how he'll bring good out of it. Sometimes we can't. A hardship is so hard and hurts so bad, we cannot conceive with our human minds how any good fruit could ever come out of this. We look at Christ. We look at the greatest evil that was ever perpetrated in this world, the crucifixion of the Son of God, and we see how God brought the greatest good out of that greatest evil. And we remember the words of the Apostle Paul, that our God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or even think. We lay hold of those words, those promises. Confess. It is good that I have been afflicted. In this present season of hardships that hurt in our churches, in our denomination, as the Lord chastens us, let this text be the confession of the Protestant Reformed churches and of our congregation It is good that the Lord has afflicted us. It is good for me. It is good for us that we have been afflicted. Afflicted with a doctrinal controversy and all of its attendant strife, misunderstanding, hurt, and division. Afflicted with the other things that so disquiet us of which we are very well aware. Let's call them what they are. The Lord's chastening upon us. Saying that doesn't lead us to despair. But saying that is encouraging because it it shows us the Lord is at work. The Lord who is good and who does good. The Lord who afflicts in faithfulness. When we call these things his chastisement, then we can see his love behind them. And that's what we need to see above all. Yes, the devil is at work. Yes, the devil tries to use these things to destroy the church, to scatter the sheep. But there's one more powerful than the devil. Remember, the devil is Jesus' slave. Behind the afflictions that God lays upon his church, behind them all is his love. And thus the words of this psalm ought to be hidden in our hearts and often upon our minds. In faithfulness thou hast afflicted. It is good for me that I've been afflicted. When God chastens, it brings pain. 
but through it, God brings healing. The healing that we need. And so having looked at the reality, let's look a little more closely at God's purpose in affliction and specifically now in his chastening. We've looked at the purpose already generally because we've discussed what it means that God is good and does good for us through affliction. But now we're going to focus more narrowly on what that good is. What is the good fruit that God brings forth out of the afflictions that he sends upon his people and that he sends upon his church? God has good goals, good reasons for chastening us because he brings forth good results. God's almighty When he sets his hand to a task, he gets the job done. The effect he desires and aims at is accomplished. When the Lord chastens, he corrects, he heals, he restores, he reforms, he makes better. The text, verse 71 highlights for us one central reason or one great purpose God has in afflicting his people and afflicting his church. It is good, good for me that I have been afflicted. For what purpose? This. That I might learn thy statutes. The idea is that affliction and chastisement is God's teacher. God's teacher. Affliction, chastisement, is a tutor the Father sends to his children to minister to us in a special way under his wise supervision. So you think about the illustration being used here. A tutor is a teacher who comes to your house. Perhaps you have a child who needs help learning a specific subject that's hard for them to learn. And so you hire a tutor to come and give special lessons to your child to help them learn that important lesson that they need extra help with. God uses afflictions in that way. Afflictions, chastisements, are tutors sent to his people, sent to his church to minister to us under his supervision and control so that we learn his word, learn his statutes, and learn particular parts of his word that we need extra help understanding. How do we profit from affliction? We profit by learning from the affliction God sends us. And in particular, the text points out that affliction is used by God to teach us his statutes so that we learn his statutes. Statutes here is another word for God's word in Psalm 119. It refers both to the promises of the gospel and the commands of the law. It refers to the entirety of God's word in all of its fullness and all of its richness. The psalmist arrived at the point where he could see God sent affliction into his life to deepen his understanding of the word. Not just intellectually. That's part of it. 
But to take that word and press it further down into the soil of his heart. To graft that word more deeply into his being so that it gave him life and gave him strength. When we learn the word of God, it's not just like learning our mathematics or learning some other subject at school. Putting it in the mind so that we can use it in life. The word of God is pressed down into our heart so that it may give us life and guidance and light, joy and peace. That's the idea here. It's not that the psalmist had no idea what God's word is. It's not that the psalmist had no idea what God's statutes are. Clearly, he was a man of faith who knew a lot about the word of God. After all, he was inspired to write the longest chapter in the Bible, which is all about the word of God. He knew God's statutes, but we never know them enough. We never understand them deeply enough. They never sink deep enough into our hearts. There is always room for growth, for learning more. That's the Christian life. And afflictions are a tool God uses for that great purpose. Afflictions, chastisement, is a tutor sent by Father to minister to us in a special way for this good purpose. Why would we not want that? I'm not saying we want our afflictions. Oh no. If we could have our own way, we would have a lot fewer of them. Nor is the text saying that we need to desire more and more afflictions so that when we pray at the dinner table at night, we say, God, give me more afflictions. That's not the expectation of the text. What the text is teaching us is that when God does send us afflictions in his providence. We are to see them this way. Though they are painful. They are a gift. They are a tutor sent from father. To help us. And under the supervision of father. It will help us. He'll see to it. That it helps us learn his statutes more. So that we know God's word more fully and more deeply. So many examples that could be given. But one that I think would resonate with a bunch of us. Or if not most of us. How many of us have a favorite text? A passage of scripture that is etched in our mind. Because it meant so much to us in a time of affliction. We knew that text. Maybe it's Psalm 23. We learned it when we were a little child. We knew it. We could recite it. But then it became real. Then it was alive. Then it was pressed upon our heart and engraven there when we went through a time of affliction, when we lost a loved one, whatever that affliction might have been. And God used that affliction to cause us to understand that word. So much more deeply. Not just intellectually, but experientially and personally. So that that Bible passage lives in our hearts. And that Bible passage has become a power by which we live our lives day by day. Can you think of such a passage? That's an example of what this text is getting at. How God uses that affliction. That we might learn his statutes.
God uses affliction to draw us closer to Himself. You see that as we learn His statutes, as His Word is pressed into our hearts, that draws us near to Him. Because His Word is the revelation of, that, of who He is and the revelation of His attitude towards us. The revelation of His relationship with us through Jesus Christ. As we learn God's statutes, we are drawn closer to Him. God does that with affliction. In affliction... When he presses that Bible passage upon your heart that gives you so much comfort. He's drawing you to himself. He's making you feel his all-sufficient grace for you now at this time. We thank God for prosperity as we ought, but sometimes prosperity can have such a dulling effect on us. And adversity gives us a healthy jolt. Adversity Drives us to the Lord. Drives us to our knees. Think of Jonah again. The prophet who was running away. But when he was put in the belly of the fish. Then he prayed. And that's Jonah too. A beautiful prayer. In the belly of the fish. Jonah was closer to God than he had been for a long time. Psalmist says. Verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. And here's an interesting thought. God uses afflictions even to preserve us. God used that affliction to bring the psalmist back to the right way. Afflictions preserve. They're a help in the hand of God to turn us back to the right way. It's good. For me, for us, that I've been afflicted. Finally, God's good purpose with afflictions is to sanctify us. The word sanctify simply means to make more holy. That idea is in verse 67. The psalmist strayed, and the implication there is he was straying in a spiritually unhealthy direction, even straying in sin. But God afflicted him, and now. Have I kept thy word? God worked in him so that he now turns and walks in the way of God's commandments. There's growth and holiness here. And that fits with what we read in the New Testament in Hebrews 12 verses 10 through 11. Hebrews 12, 10 through 11. For they, that is our earthly fathers, verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, God, For our profit. God chastens us for our profit. And then the text goes on to describe what that profit is. That we might be partakers of his holiness. Chastening is a means God uses to cause us to grow in holiness. To separate us from sin and turn us from sin. And to consecrate us to himself. Affliction and chastening often work conversion and reformation in our lives. When God chastens us, he wakes us up. It's so easy to live this life in a, in a spiritual haze. We think we're well, we think we're whole, we think we're doing good. But there's sickness in us that we don't see or won't acknowledge. And God's affliction wakes us up to that fact that we're sick, that we don't have it all together, that there's much wrong with us. 
And when he awakes us to that reality, then he directs us to the great physician, the only one who can heal us and make us whole, our Lord Jesus Christ. He uses affliction to show us our sins, to drive us to repentance, to confess them. Chastening is as a goad. It's a goad in the hand of our good shepherd to push us towards reformation in our lives. Chastening brings growth in grace. Indeed, affliction has a maturing effect on God's people. Does that not fit with our experience? Perhaps some of the aged saints here can look back on their lives and think of seasons that were filled with affliction. And you can see how you grew. You grew in grace through that time. That was God's work. And when you see that, you can say with the psalmist, it was good for me that I was afflicted in that way. The fruits of the Spirit are fertilized by affliction. Affliction often gives the fruits of the Spirit a burst of growth. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and all of the rest. And so we see, when the Lord afflicts, His purpose is good. He's working out our salvation. And He brings forth a good outcome to it. Now we apply these things briefly. Again, to our churches. God is afflicting our churches. He's chastening us. Why? Why? That we to his statutes might turn. That's how we profit from the Lord's chastening. And that ought to be our perspective. We groan under the strokes that have been laid upon us. We groan over so many things that have happened. We groan. We're sorrowful. But this text gives us encouragement. Look at the God who's sovereign over it all. Look at the God and see what He's doing through it all. He's a loving Father who's chastening His children for their profit. For their profit. That we might turn to his word and learn his statutes. We as churches need to grow in our knowledge and understanding of God's word. We're never there. We need to keep growing. Perhaps sometimes we thought we're there. Lord showing us, oh no, we have a long way to go. Let's turn to his word. Learn it fuller and more deeply. Let's do that as office bearers, as pastor. As the Lord afflicts us, it's for our learning. We need to learn. Learn how to serve God, how to serve his sheep. And as members, let us learn. Learn how to live the gospel of grace that we love and that we confess. Learn how to live it out more. Learn how to live it out in our life with one another. We know, we do, but when the Lord afflicts, so that we may learn more, more deeply 
more fully. The Lord is afflicting us as churches to draw us to himself. Just as affliction in our own individual lives brings us to our knees before him so that we call out to him in prayer, so it is for us as churches. As the Lord afflicts, the good purpose is to turn us to Jesus Christ so that we look to him alone and cherish him more and more. It's easy to prize a church institution. To trust that institution. To find our identity. And even if we're not fully conscious of it, our salvation in the institution that we belong to. That's not our salvation. The Lord is showing us that. Not an institution, but Jesus Christ himself. He's our savior. In him is our identity. He is above all most precious. Afflictions point us to Christ. Afflictions make all our idols turn to dust. So that the only one who's left standing is him to whom we belong, body and soul and life and in death. The Lord is using affliction and chastening to sanctify us, not only as individual believers, but as churches to show us our weaknesses and our sins. And we mustn't be embarrassed to talk about that. We must freely admit that and confess that, that we as churches have sins. We are weak. We can think of some of those sins. One that's always at the door in the human heart is pride. Have we not as churches been proud at times, proud of our doctrine, proud of our antithetical life, and in pride lifted ourselves up? Now the Lord Jesus is keeping his word. Those who exalt themselves shall be abased. But Jesus also keeps this word. Those who humble themselves shall be exalted. And so this chastening is for our good. The Lord is humbling us. He's causing growth and grace in our churches. He's cultivating the fruit of the Spirit among us. So that through all of this chastening, through doctrinal controversy, through very hard events in the lives of our churches, we are coming to understand grace better. Is that not good? Can we not say it is good for me, it is good for us that we have been afflicted? Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. That's a comforting truth. The way to handle affliction and chastening in the church is not to deny it. Not to call it something that it's not. But to recognize it for what it is. And see the good hand of God behind it. And the smiling, loving countenance of our Father. Even when he has to frown at our sins. Sins that are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. His chastening is for our profit, not our undoing. For our healing. For our healing. So let us see it that way. We have to deal with hardships that hurt. We have to deal with them wisely. But let's see God's grace to us in this season of chastening. See it as a doorway through which the Good Shepherd may be pleased to lead us, lead our churches into a season of greater spiritual health and usefulness to Him and the causes of His kingdom than ever before.
Because the Bible teaches when God chastens, it's for our good. And when we come out of that chastening on the other side, we are better than before we suffered that chastisement. We're being refined, purified. Again, let us, let our churches say, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. When we need that assurance because things look bleak, look back to that cross upon which we see the Christ, the suffering Savior and the bridegroom of His church who never stops loving His church no matter how many spots or wrinkles she has at any given time throughout history. He loves her so much That he went to the cross for her. He loves her so much that he sanctifies her. He loves her so much that he even sends these afflictions for her profit. The Lord is using the afflictions of right now. For the sake of the day when we will be presented before Christ without spot or wrinkle. And so now we come briefly to the response. The response. How do we respond to the Lord's affliction and chastening? Well, we see the spirit of the psalmist. A humble spirit. When he says, it is good that I have been afflicted. That's the response. Let us humble ourselves before God. Humble ourselves beneath his mighty hand. As 1 Peter 5 verse 5 says, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Let us look to our own house as churches, examine ourselves, face our weaknesses, confess our sins, look to the Lord for his grace, which comes in abundant supply, that we may grow in that grace. Let us focus on him. We always need that reminder when times are tough and we're so tempted to focus on all of the afflictions upon the rod that is chastening us. Look to God. Look to God and what He is doing. Let's humble ourselves beneath His hand. Receive whatever comes from His hand with childlike submission and trust. Having that peace that passeth all understanding, that peace that comes from belonging to Jesus Christ, the assurance that whatever blow the Father lays upon us, it is for our profit. Let us from the heart confess, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. It is good that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according to thy word. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for passages such as this, which are of rich comfort and instruction in times of trouble and seasons of affliction. Help us all to see Thy fatherly love behind the affliction and chastening Thou dost send upon us, that we to Thy statutes might turn. Grant, Father, that through these things we may be sanctified, humbled, that we may grow in grace, and that we may be 
a church that reflects more beautifully the glory of Jesus Christ. Hear us in mercy for his sake. Amen.